the Holy Spirit helps us in our praying. Prayer. When we think of our Christian lives, our prayer life is one of the the greatest benefits that we enjoy. Yet we often fail to think about or fail to meditate on the amazing privilege that it is. Prayer sometimes might just become something that we take for granted. And I definitely include myself in saying that we have a tendency to make prayer seem like almost a mundane activity. Or sometimes we even see it as a bit of entitlement, that we are somehow warranted to have God's ear. But what we forget is that God actually allows us to have his ear. God has made it possible for us to have his ear. Prayer is God enabling and allowing us humans, you can think about it that way, to come to him, the creator, very God of the universe, the one who is altogether holy with our words. He enables the creatures to speak words to the creator. We are allowed to go to God with our fears. We are allowed to go to God with our questions. We're allowed to go to God with our petitions. Brothers and sisters, let us never take that for granted. Prayer is an incredible privilege. That we should enter into the space that is occupied by God himself, while we should, number one, be tremendously grateful And we should be overwhelmingly astounded that God should give ear to us. Psalm 8 gives us a sense of the astonishment when David writes, this is in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, When I look at your heavens, when I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So there's a danger that we can presume that God would listen to us. And partly because we're prone to not view prayer as the high privilege that it is, we are often not as diligent to pray as we should. We've been given this incredible privilege, and yet we fail to access it. Even if it does make it somewhere onto our priority list, it's often close to the bottom, or sometimes even, we have to admit, sometimes a last resort, is it not? But our aim today is not to, for me to stand up here and tell you to pray more often, though we could always use more motivation in that area. Our goal today is to have us think about what it is that allows us to have access to the ear of God in the first place. What is it that allows the finite prayers, or the feeble prayers of finite beings to enter into the presence of a holy, infinite God. And more to the point, who is it that brings our prayers to the attention of our Heavenly Father? Well, if you've been following our series, you know the answer to that. This is a continuation of our series on God the Holy Spirit. We've been searching the Bible to find out what the role of the Holy Spirit or how the role of the Holy Spirit and how he, the third person of the Trinity, plays out in our Christian lives. So why is it that we should pay more attention to the work of the Holy Spirit? 
We rightly worship God the Father. We rightly exalt God the Son, the one who is our Lord and our Savior. But sometimes we neglect to pay attention to the necessary ministry and to the particular role within the triune Godhead of God the Holy Spirit. Or when we do think about the Holy Spirit, it's usually in, in, in connection with the sensationalistic and, and frankly, sometimes sub-biblical associations of those who want to connect the Holy Spirit with these strange manifestations that we hear and see with many so-called preachers that have to do with the word and faith, word faith movement or the health and wealth sort of teaching or all of which together sort of teach a prosperity gospel. And that sort of thing poses a grave danger in that it either leads people toward that movement where all kinds of things are strangely attributed to the Holy Spirit or it can have the opposite effect where in an effort to disassociate ourselves and to avoid all that stuff, we, we keep our distance and we end up avoiding or ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit. But we've already seen how important the Holy Spirit is in our day-to-day, ordinary, we might call it, one-step-at-a-time Christian lives. And we've, we've already began to amass a pretty good list. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth and helps us to understand God's word, God's revelation to us. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts everyone of sin, righteousness, and judgment, which is actually what makes it possible for us to become Christians in the first place as the Holy Spirit awakens our faith and our need of a Savior. And at the very moment we became Christians, we were baptized with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to become his witnesses even to the ends of the earth. We're told to continually be filled with the Spirit, which we see in Ephesians 5 and 6 affects uh, our worship and affects all of our relationships. We learned about the fruit of the Spirit that keeps us from gratifying the desires of the flesh. And last week, Pastor Andrew took us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to show us how the Holy Spirit equips the church and unifies the church where he arranges each of us with our individual uh, Holy Spirit-given giftings so that the many parts become one body. Well, another one of those ordinary areas of the Christian life is prayer. And I say ordinary just in the sense that this is something we should be doing all the time. Not that it's not extraordinary or supernatural. It is all that. But it's part of our ordinary day-to-day lives. And prayer falls into that category. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to pray, as we're going to see. If we think about this aspect of prayer, we can see that the Holy Spirit's work does not primarily have to do with sensational manifestations, but with his powerful presence in the everyday life of the Christian. And nothing is as regular and as ordinary as the prayer life of the Christians. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. Prayer can happen intentionally at different times, but prayer should almost be as natural as breathing. Yet we know it is rarely like that for us. And we have to admit that. Prayer seems to be a struggle. Well, then the next question is why? Why do we struggle so much with prayer? 
Prayer is, in its most basic form, our communication with God, and yet it's one of those areas where very few Christians can say they are satisfied with their prayer life. It's probably prayer and evangelism are two of the areas that we often think, oh man, you know, we, we kind of fall short. Yet in some ways, that struggle makes perfect sense. There's obviously a sizable gap between the creature and the creator. And even though we've been gloriously redeemed by Jesus Christ, we still struggle with the effects of sin, with the presence of sin. So I often say, the three Ps, we've been, we've been saved from the power of sin, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, but we still live with that presence of sin. And those effects of sin affect our sense of coming into God's presence. But thank God, in his kindness and in his graciousness, he gives us some help in that area. And that help comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. So look with me just at two verses this morning from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you've paid any attention to hockey in the last few weeks, you may have heard about a player nicknamed the Great Eight. He wears number eight. He's the captain now of the Stanley Cup winning team. After 13 years, he finally got the cup, and he celebrated probably a little bit too much. Well, that nickname, the Great Eight, could apply to this chapter as well. Romans 8 has sometimes been called exactly that, the Great Eight. The whole of the letter of Romans summarizes in great detail, the great doctrines of the faith, the great truths of the gospel. But chapter 8 is a pinnacle of sorts. All those great truths seem to be combined there to show us that our salvation is sure, to show us that our salvation is secure. It starts with verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends at the end of the chapter by saying that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it's God the Spirit that's actually prominent in this entire chapter. Actually, a lot of the things we've already talked about are encapsulated here in Romans 8. The Spirit saves us from sin and death in verse 2. He helps us fulfill the law in verse 4. He gives us life and peace in verse 6 and in verse 11. He confirms our adoption into God's family, that wonderful doctrine of, of adoption where we are taken as spiritual orphans and brought into God's very family, and see that in verses 14 and uh, 15 and 16. He guarantees our future glory there in verses 17 to 25. And here in verse 26 and 27, we see yet another function of the Holy Spirit's work. Back in the Gospel of John, Jesus had promised the disciples there that when he left, he would send a helper, who he calls the Holy Spirit. Well, here we see that role again. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Here it says, he helps us in our weakness. And one of the ways he helps us is in our prayer. The Spirit helps us in our weakness for, 
we do not know what to pray as we ought. You know, if you think about it, that word help actually is a perfect summary of what prayer is. Kevin DeYoung, in a tweet this week, said all our prayers boil down to basically two things, thank you and help. That's the content of our prayers. But isn't it good to know that God, the Holy Spirit, actually helps us pray to God the Father for help as we come to him through God the Son. You notice there that all three persons of the Godhead are involved in our prayer. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps bring our attempts at communication with God to God. And so let's see how all of that works and why we so desperately need the Holy Spirit in such a crucial part of our Christian lives as how we approach God for help. These two short verses present a problem, a problem that plagues every single Christian. And then it gives the Holy Spirit as the solution to that problem. What is the problem? Our problem is described there as weakness. There in verse 26. And our weakness, it says, affects our prayers. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Notice that Paul, who's the human author of this letter, says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Singular, not weaknesses. That means that our, our, our general condition is one of weakness. We, we always live in the realm of weakness. That's the space that we inhabit. There, there is never a time on this side of heaven where we are not in a state of weakness. So what is that weakness? Well, weakness is our human condition because of sin. Because we are not yet perfect. Because we are not yet glorified. Which goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. It's not a physical weakness. It's a general spiritual weakness owing to the presence of sin that puts a cloud or that blurs even our ability to be in touch with God, which is what prayer is. We have a mental block of sorts. Yes, Jesus has taken away the barrier between us and God. Praise God for that. We can go to God directly. We don't have to go through priests or we don't have to have any bloodshed because Jesus, of course, became our high priest and he shed his blood on on our account, instead of us. But even though we can go to God directly, we are still hampered or hindered by our sin. And that sin even affects our praying. He says, for we do not know how to, what to pray as we ought, what to pray for as we ought. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. So there's our problem. There, there are two parts to the problem here, you'll notice. One is that we do not know. So the problem is our ignorance. Our lack of understanding is a barrier to our praying. Frankly, we do not know what's best for us. We think we do, and so we go to God with our words, but we really don't know. We don't understand God's ways. We don't understand God's wishes for our lives. We don't know God's will completely. We know it in part. We know it through 
God's word, if we would just stick with what God's word says, of course God's will is revealed to us there. But from day-to-day things, sometimes we're a little bit confused about what God's will is for this situation and for that situation. Going along with that, it brings us to the second part of the problem. Notice it says, we don't know what to pray for. It's not that we don't know how to pray. That's not what it says here. Jesus even gave us a pattern for how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, he says to his disciples. But it's that we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to ask the Lord. Our judgment is clouded by sin, and so our prayers and our requests are clouded by our sin. We don't know what's best for us. We don't know what's right for us. We don't know exactly what's fitting for us. We can see an illustration of this, even with someone like Moses. Someone who we might think of as one of the giants of the faith. Someone who we might assume would be more spiritual than any of us. Back in Deuteronomy 3, as the Hebrews were making their way to the promised land, God had been doing amazing things, miraculous things, to make it possible for them to to finally get from Egypt in their roundabout way to the edge of the Jordan River, just about to cross over to the Promised Land. And on the way there, they were just uh, God was miraculously taking nations out of the way. And, and so Moses thinks he's just going to capitalize on the momentum here and ask God to bring him over to see the land. Let's, let's just go in and take a look. But Moses did not know what was right. And so the text says, but the Lord was angry with me. This is Moses talking about himself. The Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Imagine that. Someone prays to the Lord and he says, enough from you. So do not speak to me of this matter again. Another example comes from Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, Paul is kind of like Moses, another Bible hero that we might think of. You'd think he'd know what to pray. You might remember this story. He had a thorn in the flesh. doesn't exactly tell us what that thorn was. But he says, it says the same thing that, he said, that Moses said. He says, he pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Remember, Moses said the same thing in Deuteronomy 3. I pleaded with the Lord at that time. And here it's Paul saying this, that this thorn in the flesh should leave me. Seems like a reasonable request. He, he thought that whatever this thorn was, was, was a hindrance to his ministry. He could be doing greater ministry if this thing was gone. And so he thought it best that God should take it away. He thought it best. But God was trying to teach him something else. Something totally different than what Paul was thinking. And so the Lord says, this is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It was that thorn in the flesh that would empower him rather than weaken him. And that's exactly what Paul learns from this, maybe we can call it a non-answer. In verse 10 he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. So he learned the lesson. God had a different way of answering his prayer, a way that Paul didn't understand when he prayed it. So that's the problem. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the solution to that problem, the help comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps in our weakness. That's a glorious solution 
is it not? We get the aid of God in our prayers to God. In our weak state caused by the sin that that clouds our communication with the Heavenly Father, God the Holy Spirit helps us pray to God the Father. That word help literally means to take together. The picture is of us trying in vain to carry a heavy load on our own. Think of carrying a heavy load. Maybe you've tried to carry a sofa up the stairs by yourself sometime, and, and, we, and you try to carry one end, and it just doesn't go very well. It's slow. It bumps against the walls. It bumps against the stairs. There's various obstacles. You might have to pull it up a little bit. Then you have to go back down and push the other end up a little bit. It becomes very difficult. But then someone comes along and picks up the other end. And what was once a burden and a stress and was taking forever now becomes instant assistance and relief as someone comes along to help carry the load. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, but it gives us the picture of what this word help is. And the end of Romans 8.26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice, by the way, yet another reminder, as we've been saying all along here, that the Holy Spirit is not an it. Don't ever refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Refer to the Holy Spirit as he. He is not merely an impersonal force or, or energy. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit himself actually says that twice here in Romans 8. Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those are kind of strange, strange sentence in some ways. You might want to ask, it kind of looks like the Spirit is the one groaning here. And if you know what the word groaning means, that seemed kind of odd that God would groan. But I would agree with some commentators who say that the Spirit here is expressing our groanings to the Father. I think that makes more sense. In our weakness, our words sometimes are almost incomprehensible. They don't make sense sometimes. They're feeble. They're, they're tinged with our ignorance, with our lack of understanding. They might come across as wordless groanings. Maybe if you've ever been swimming with someone and you both go underwater and you try to have a conversation, that's kind of what this is like. It's, it's just garbled noise. You might hear the inflection in the voice, but you have no idea what they're saying. That's sometimes how our prayers come to God. Now, of course, God knows our thoughts even without words. But the picture, again, is that our, our prayers betray our weak condition. We sometimes even hear ourselves this way when we pray. I would not normally describe myself as someone who has attention deficit disorder, except in prayer. You know what I'm saying? I can be praying you know, I might be praying, for example, for a meeting that's coming up that later that night, and all of a sudden I find myself thinking about a hockey game that's also happening that night, right? That's my weakness hindering my prayer. We need help in our praying. We are weak. Enter God the Holy Spirit. And here's how it works, the way I understand these verses. The Holy Spirit takes our feeble prayers with words that can often sound like groanings too deep for words, 
even though those our thoughts might be well-meaning. And the Spirit then reformulates those petitions and requests, making them legible and coherent, and takes them then to God the Father in such a way that those feeble prayers are transformed to be according to the will of God. I think that's what Romans 8.27 is saying. So verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that would be God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, God knows our feelings and desires even though we are wordless, or our words sound like groanings. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, He doesn't depend upon our sounds or formulated words. The slightest movement registered in the head, God hears. And he understands them. End quote. Why could he formulate it that way? Because the Spirit expresses our groanings. And God knows the mind of the Spirit. Charles Hodge says it even better. He says, Instead of ignorance putting a seal upon our lips, instead of our ignorance stopping our prayers in their tracks, is what he's saying, instead of ignorance putting a seal upon our lips, the Spirit gives our godly desires a language heard and understood by God. In some way, the Holy Spirit almost serves as somewhat of a translator on our behalf to God. But the kind of translator who might even change What we said in translation, when we see a translator, do you ever wonder if they're actually saying the same thing in that other language? Maybe they have a different agenda than the speaker. Who knows? The speaker would never know because he doesn't know that other language, so this translator could be saying anything. I know I'm kind of weird thinking those sort of things. But in the same kind of way, the Holy Spirit takes our words, and again, these are all sort of speculations into the mysteries of the mind of the all-knowing triune God, what's going on in there, who already knows all of our thoughts, as I said. But the Holy Spirit takes our words and translates them to the Father in such a way that they do align with God's will. The Holy Spirit, though, is unlike that translator that might have sort of alternative intentions. The Spirit in opposition to that, is for us. He is for our good. He is for our growth in godliness. He is for our sanctification in that he's conforming us into the image of God the Son. And he is for God the Father. He takes our prayers and he transforms them so that they are according to the will of God. In our weakness, we cannot even express right desires. We don't know what is ultimately best for us according to God. And sometimes we don't even know what God would want for us. But let me also say this. That should never stop us from praying. And we should not stop praying precisely because God the Holy Spirit will take our feeble desires and reshape them so that they come to God in a way that he will answer our prayers according to his will. That might be why sometimes the answers to our prayers don't come in exactly the same way we prayed or we requested or we even expected those answers to come. 
It's because God will accomplish his will in our lives. And we should be thankful for that. In our weakness, our will can be tainted with desires that don't sometimes align with God's desires, much like they did with Paul when he prayed about that thorn in the flesh. And that's precisely where the Holy Spirit is our friend, where the Holy Spirit is our advocate, where the Holy Spirit is our helper, where the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Prayer is a great privilege. As the hymn says, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. But it is a privilege reserved, did you notice here, for the saints? The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Not saying two things, it's saying, number one, that only saints, only true believers will groan in this way. These kind of groanings are proof, they're assurances that we are saints. We are weak in our remaining sin, but we want to obey God. In our weakness, we still, deep in our heart, want to obey God. And praise God, the Holy Spirit intercedes then for the saints. But we can also take this to say that the help and intercession of the Spirit is an exclusive privilege for the saints. People that don't have the Spirit do not have this aid, do not have this assistance of the Spirit in prayer. So, friend, if you are here today and you're not a Christian, I want to make sure that this great privilege of spirit-aided prayer, I want to make sure to lay this on a platter before you and say, take. You can, you can actually have the ear of God. Can you imagine? But you can only do that if you come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, you must turn from your sins and, 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 and put all of your hopes for eternal life on Jesus as he died on the cross for your, for your sins. Don't rely on your own good works and think that they will earn you a, a standing or a hearing from God. Rely on Christ's good works alone. And then all of these privileges will be yours, prayer and many others. And for you that are Christians, I want to make sure that these truths, again, do not stop you from praying. Do not help you, make you just take sort of a passive attitude towards prayer and that the Holy Spirit's going to do the work for me anyways. Don't let the fact that you are weak or that the Spirit takes your desires and conforms them to God's will stop you from asking and praying. No, you must pray. Keep coming to Him in prayer. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. He does not pray in your place. So pray. Lay out your heart before God. And then when you pray, you can even admit to God that you do not know what to pray for. That's a good prayer. God, I come to you and, and I don't know exactly how to pray. But then tell him that you want to submit to him. That you defer to him. That, that you want to do his will, not yours. Lord Jesus was the example of that, right? Right? Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Submit to him, defer to him, and then go ahead and lay your request before him, knowing that the precious Holy Spirit is helping you and is interceding for you. The Spirit helps us 
in our prayers. All praise goes to God, the Holy Spirit. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have, that you have opened for us this very means of, of access to you that we call prayer. And we thank, you that the, we thank you that God the Son intercedes and advocates to you on our, on our behalf. And, and now you have given us another advocate. So we thank you that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that, that abides in us, that lives in us, that, that indwells us, also helps us in our prayers and intercedes for us when we do not know what to pray. We do admit our ineptitude and our failure to fully understand your ways. But we also, at the same time, want to submit ourselves to you and simply ask that you would accomplish your will in our lives. We thank you that you hear fully and perfectly the prayers of the Spirit on our behalf and that you then answer those prayers in in ways that increasingly conform us into the image of your Son, which is all of our desire. And with that in mind, we pray these things through the precious name of Jesus. Amen.